you like movies that I'm here to say, then this is the show for you, okay? It's called the best movie to a Jimmy Allen tone, so don't touch that dial, turn off your phone. Grab a sweet song, mix of popping corn, from Rosebud to Laughter to Jason Bourne, Meryl Streep to Kirk Russell to Dennis Hopper, and don't forget, y'all, Guys of the Hello and welcome to the Best Movie 2 podcast, the podcast that tells you what film to watch in any given situation. Like today, when we are learning the best movie to learn about men. Yes, did it in one. That's probably the first time I've ever done that in one, so I'm going to ruin the whole take by uh, congratulating myself. And our guest, our guest today is Nikki Rose, filmmaker, director, uh, camera operator, sound technician, and more importantly, my sister. Hi, Nikki. Hello. It's it's, it's 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 Nicola. Do you mind if I call you Nikki? No, that's fine. <laughs> I love that slide. <laughs> and you, you're not on just because uh, you're a family member. You, you're actually probably to blame for this whole thing, aren't you? That um, me being into films would be your fault, since as you're. That's a heavy burden. You're a lot more seasoned than me. Would say. Um, really. There's a bit of an age gap, um, but you. It's your fault that me and our brother were heavily into films. You're the one who, you know, sat us down when we were like five and said, there's a film called Robocop, watch that. Could you not have sat us down in front of some dumbbells or something? Or no. an e- economics book? That would have been handy. Here's, here's how to get into property. I don't know, because film has always been like, you know, it's always been our family's narrative. It's how we like communicate it. We communicate it over film, discuss it, which is so funny that you hate people talking through films. You're like <laughs> against it. And yet that was massively my upbringing was to dissect films, talk about it and use them to explore ideas. Oh, actually, I, <laughs> I did. I had to click at you in the cinema just three days ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you clicked at me. Because what were you doing? I was talking to my daughter about the film. Was she having like an asthma attack? Or no, we no. were watching. We were, we're watching, watching Napoleon. Napoleon, and straight off the bat, we were like, Ugh. like we thought it was going to be good the beginning, and he brought in the mother issues, you know, where he gets the ball out of the horse's chest, um, and says, "Send that to mother." And we thought it was going to be good, and then we kind of felt it was going a bit downhill after that, really. Yeah, I, I thought Sean, Sean Bean was going to come into it as sharp, um, and he didn't, which was a disappointment. <laughs> One of our dad's all-time heroes. <laughs> <laughs> was that, uh, uh, well, before we even get into the topic, are you okay with people talking through films, first-time films that you haven't seen before? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely not. What if you miss something? I know, but I have problems in the cinema anyway, sitting still. There's many times I've got up and I've had to go and just walk around. I find it very difficult. My legs start to go. It's difficult for me to sit that long. Um, Edith gets annoyed. Um, because of your drinking problem. Yeah. <laughs> Amongst other things, yeah. But, uh, yeah, because I have to pause the film and go and have a walk around and, and then come back to it. But, um, yeah, I even walked out of um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I absolutely adore. But I had to get up and have a little walk around and come back to it. In the cinema? In the cinema, yeah. Uh, I don't 
I think is the like when I'm sat there watching a, a film in the cinema, that's my my peaceful place of everything else outside. It's like they make it, you're in a, a literally like a, a vacuum that's a box. So it's the best time to concentrate. It's that and like going to the toilet with a book. They're the best times that you've locked the door and there's everything outside stays outside. So it's like a nice peaceful. I don't need to be like, um, or wondering what's going on. Um, or uh, I need to be away from this unless it's a bad film. To be fair, Napoleon, the more I think on it, Napoleon's probably like a, it's a three star disappointment. Yeah, it was really disappointing. Like it's well, mate. I mean, if, if we're getting into the subject of learning about men, Napoleon's not a bad one to start on, but it's probably a bit too fresh. Can you spoil a historical uh, biopic? Well, we knew about their relationship, didn't we? But I just didn't feel like it was fully explored, the whole thing with Josephine. And I thought it was interesting. My favourite bit of it is when she says, can we do spoilers? Can we do spoilers? Yeah, people know that he's dead, I think. <laughs> but where she says, next time I'll I'll be the emperor, you know, um, I thought that was really interesting that it's just roles that we play. All of it is just roles that we play. Which... Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realise that it's like Paul McCartney. Napoleon actually died halfway through his reign and then Josephine just wore his face as a skin mask and yeah. finished it. That's, that's why Waterloo didn't work because Josephine fucked it up, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Classic woman just ruining why it started. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Don't tweet us. Jesus. <laughs> Do you think we, have we learned anything about men through Joaquin Phoenix's uh, Napoleon? Uh, um, I, do you know what? Because he did, um, he did like one of my all time sort of heroes. I've even got the t shirt on Johnny Cash where he did uh, Walk the Line. And we know he's very, very capable of doing that vulnerable dickhead sort of persona of a male um, and quite selfish but vulnerable at the same time. I was kind of expecting that because he's mm. very, very capable of it and you kind of love him, you hate him. Just didn't get that at all in Napoleon at all. Yeah, I think Ridley Scott's kind of dislike of the character has bled through to his direction of Joaquin Phoenix. I it's 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 kind of a comedy, and it, yeah. it's like it's been designed to kind of push the the wind out of Napoleon's sails. Like at no point does it make sense that anyone would follow this guy to the toilet, let alone follow him across oh, the road. They had to keep putting him on the little island. Keep putting on a little. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then he's and then he's like, I have to get back. France France becomes like the maternal figure and he has to get back to France and his army. Um, yeah, yeah, I was just disappointed. It could, it could have done so much more, I think. Yeah, I might do a full-on review of Napoleon, um, just the guy in general, and be like, guys, he's, he's a bit of knob, wasn't he? All right, let's get into it then. Let's get yeah, heavily I... into it. We're going we're gonna to list off some films. Here's, yeah. our, here's our audience scenario. You, it's a, it's a man or a woman, or um, or non-gender specific. Someone listening to the pod and going, I want to I want to learn about men. What's going on with men? Are men okay? Uh, so <laughs> no, it's the answer. 
<laughs> so obviously we can't do TV shows. So Bill Bixby's uh, The Incredible Hulk is off, uh, is off the table, yeah. uh, which is a shame because I think that's you can probably learn the most. Many were just rage monsters, but you know we can be delicate flowers just walking down the road. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, you learn all. I learned all my life lessons through watching like Marvel comic stuff and like. Um, I mean, it's iconic, isn't it? Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility and the dichotomy of Batman and the good and bad and when Superman went bad. Um, it's just really interesting. But anyway, I feel sorry for anyone listening to this because you and me are just weird nerds. I don't because I we've got a great... Uh, I've done a check on our, who our audiences are. We've got a lot of German audiences. That's hello to you guys. We've got someone from Brazil who listens now. Uh, hello. Bonjour. Hola. <laughs> Hola to the people in Brazil. <laughs> the Netherlands, we're popular in the Netherlands. Really? The 61st uh, best uh, podcast, comedy podcast in the Netherlands, despite being quite humorous. Um, I was so... going to say, comedy podcast. <laughs> Well, you probably laugh more listening to this than you'd learn about film. So that's how we've uh, that's how we've structured it. Uh, right. So, film one. What you got for me? Okay. So I'm going to start off with a classic. It's The Searchers, 1948, and obviously it's Ford. And how much of this film has echoed throughout the ages? Whenever you're talking about men, John Wayne, the epitome of the man's man. Um, it's just really sad. I mean, the whole story is about Ethan looking for his niece who's being abducted by, I think it's uh, Chimanchian yeah. Indians. Chimanchian, uh, I can't remember. But it's him and he drags along Martin, who is her sort of half-brother. And it's he's, really... He's half Native American himself, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's even... He says you look like some sort of half-caste, which is a terrible, yeah. obviously, thing to say. But he, I think Martin actually, I've written it down. I think Martin actually says something like he's a, he's an eighth Indian and the rest is uh, Welsh and English. And he's, <laughs> but I love it that he says, that's what I've been told. I love it because Martin's seen as the weaker one. Yeah. Um, and he's dragged along by Wayne. But Martin wants to find his sister. And she's just a child. And Lucy, the older sister, um, it's really horrible because um, the same well, what happened to Lucy and um, John Wayne's character says, you know, um, she's dead, she's gone. And they said, oh, no, we saw her. And he said, no, that, that wasn't Lucy. It was a book dressed in her clothes. Um and she was, she's, she's gone, you know, she's dead. And he buries her with his own hands. And he says, did they, do you know, the whole insinuation mm. is, was she raped, basically. And that's a massive theme in it. Um, even where Martin has like a sort of this girl who's waiting for him to come to a census and come home because they're away for years. I mean, this girl's grown up now. Um, but they're away for years, and she's been waiting for him. This uh, this girl who's been waiting—it's Laurie, I think. 
Um, she's the all-American sort of like wants to be a wife, wants to be a mother. And as, she, as you should, yeah. Good. As you should. As you should. <laughs> and um, she says horribly to him. Um, he, he wants to bring her home and she says, bring what home? Because the whole thing is, and it's insinuated throughout, is that where she's a child, she, she'll be raised as one of them, but she'll come of age. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's this whole thing about, I just love the whole thing that she's become a savage. <clears throat> she's become something other. And the whole setting is in this desert. I mean, you know, the, the iconic picture of the door with the lights. Yeah. I mean, God's famous for it. And there's been loads of films picked up on it. This wildness outside. But actually what I question is, who is the wildness referring to? Is it the girl that's gone with the Indians and she's other? Or is it the other in them as men? Well, a lot of people have read that that final shot where John Wayne's looking out through the door as he doesn't belong in the homestead. Like he's talked about the savagery yeah. throughout the film, but he's he's not a homesteader. He doesn't belong in the, that. <laughs> the thing that he keeps trying to protect and saying that this is important is you know just a happy home life. He's too yeah. savage for it, um, yeah. and that's that's what it is. Is he he has to look out into you know, where he belongs, which is the wilderness. Um, well, this wilderness is a reoccurring theme, isn't it, really? But Martin's interesting because Martin's seen as the weaker one. I mean, he, he he's visibly, you know, feminine. He cries. Mm. Um, he gets got breasts. <laughs> the bit where he breastfeeds uh, John Wayne is a bit weird, actually. <laughs> That's where the get off your horse and drink your milk comes from, isn't it? There's lovely things in it. Like, Laurie annoys me ever since I was a kid and I watched it. Laurie who's this girl who's waiting for Martin, and she says, I think at one point where he comes home and she says she's waiting for him, and he says, I think we should start, what is it? What did they say? I don't know, dating or whatever in the old West. Oh, smashing, smashing pies. Yeah, and she she says... We start smashing pies. pies Since we were three. (laughs) But but she says, you need to know it. Uh, It's this that he's oblivious. He's absolutely oblivious. It's only when she kind of goes to marry another man and he turns up. And like a proper teenage outburst, he's like wants to fight him, he wants to scrap him. And it's... um, so you see Martin kind of grown, but I love this idea that his sister, who he's looking for, Debbie, is home. That's home for him. Mm. That's where he belongs. And that he says, I'm an eighth Indian and I'm Welsh and I'm English. That's what people tell me. He actually doesn't care what people tell him he is. And I think he's actually the stronger from him and John Wayne. John Wayne, like you say, he's he's gone. He's... Yeah, if you, you know. do if you did this as like a modern revisionist western, it'd be a, it'd be more obvious kind of who is the real stronger person in it. But I guess because it's in the fifties, they probably have to sit down with John Wayne and be like, "You're the hero in this, don't worry." Uh, and why are you doing this shot from? Don't, I wouldn't panic about that. It's not going to reflect badly on you. You're going to look great in it, and not like uh, an arcane racist. Uh, so just <laughs> yeah. crack on. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think that's nice. Yeah, I mean, I've put down a couple of quotes from it. Um, like when he's back and the 
the priest says to him about, I didn't see you at the surrender. And he says, I don't believe in surrender. And he says things like, um, but, but, but what's it? we'll find them uh, just as sure as the turning of the earth. And this is a common thing, you know, that this relentless pursuit of something, there's always this relentless pursuit, this kind of landscape of wilderness and this lack of home, a sense of home and a sense of belonging that finds is a reoccurring theme throughout films when we're talking about men. Um, it's really sad. I remember being really sad, but I remember my granddad loved John Wayne and I always found John Wayne a pretty sad figure, which brings us on to uh, The Quiet Man, which is another Ford film, mm. but this is 1952. Now, The Quiet Man is... One of my all-time favourite films ever. Um, it's so problematic. There's so much in it that I think it still stands up today and makes you question a lot of things. Um, so, so is this it, the one where it, I've not seen The Quiet Man, just to say, kind of my knowledge of it. Um, this is the one where he goes to, is that the one where he goes to Ireland? Yeah. And and, uh, and everyone's like, shh, you're American. Shh. It's mainly him kind of speaking loudly and, well, he cafes turns up, and bistros and people like mate come on keep it down but he we turns could... up in this little village and he's dressed quite well and he's got quite a lot of money and we know he's a boxer um but he goes to ireland because he's looking for home so it's the theme coming up again about home and he wants to purchase this old run-down cottage that is his family home because that's where he comes from but something terrible has happened to him um, and hence the quiet man. Um, oh, it's he, he was smoking and he's got one of them machines in his voice box now, isn't he? <laughs> but, but it's, yeah, so you've got the home thing. Um, but he goes back and it's, uh, what's her name, O'Hara, who plays the fiery redhead he falls in love with? Catherine? No, um, is, it, is it? Greg, Greg O'Hara. O'Hara. Is it Maureen? Oh, Mo oh yeah, sorry, Maureen O'Hara. Yeah. Uh, so, um, do you think it's it's easier for men to be looking for home than to actually settle down in a home once they're there? I think it's an ideal. I think it's an it is an ideal. This idea of home, of belonging. There's always like, I mean, you've seen it in Paris, Texas. You see it. There's always, and I'm going to come on to. Um, my own private idea in a bit, but this idea of roads, of a purpose, of going somewhere, of getting something, men are action. And it just seems like an unobtainable goal and this wilderness that they're trying to resist that they inevitably become part of. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know how much of this is a comedy, though, Jamie. <laughs> oh, um, I'm about to mute my mic from laughing. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, well, no it is. It is it, like I haven't really. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that until now. But um, kind of obviously, films have to have you know incidents or like it, something has to happen. But most of the time, people, if you don't have a purpose, you kind of seen as lesser. Um, and you know, <laughs> but most, isn't it really? mo most of us in reality, like, sorry to tell you this, all my listeners in uh, Norway and Brazil and Germany. Uh, but most of us don't have a purpose. We just kind of live on the earth until we get to die. Um, 
but again, I guess in films that'd be a bit depressing, uh, like a bit more. That's kind of like a million dollar baby level sadness of, oh god, yeah, we just we don't really have like an ultimate purpose. Um, back then it was especially like the I guess the post war generation people were coming back without a ge- uh, purpose, weren't they? So the yes, the fifties, you've probably got a lot of men watching. Going, oh yeah, no, we're 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 fucking men and we do stuff, yeah. Really, you think that's still like I I I've got like male friends and they they are concerned about their purpose and what their purpose is. And um I I think it's quite a contemporary thing. I think it still stands up now. Really? Oh yeah. Well yeah, yeah. I mean I, I suppose I see it differently because I you know people wouldn't know from listening to this podcast, but I got into stand-up eight years ago, uh, which is like the ultimate, I have a dream, I've, I've, I'm doing my dream, I've achieved my dream. Um, so I, I guess, but yeah, before then, I definitely felt that like, God, this is getting deep, isn't it? It is, lo- I knew this would be horrendous, you and me together. It's it's lucky Mrs. Doubtfire is on my list later. Oh, clicking at me. So we could we could talk about when he puts his face in the pie. It's silly, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I guess. Well, no, it's you know, it's not, it's not an issue that we've resolved. I mean, well, shall I give you like a rough thing of because you haven't seen Quiet Man? He basically he goes to Ireland. We know he's wealthy. We know he's got money. We know he's a he's a boxer, like in his own right. He's mm. he's achieved. And he needs a sense of home, so he goes back to buy the old family homestead in this little village in Ireland. And he sees Maureen O'Hara, it is Maureen O'Hara, I'm sure it is, on a field, herding sheep. And she, I think she's even got a lamb under her arm. And then at some other point, he sees her in church, and he later says, he refers to it when he sees her, she's got the face of a saint. But he's warned off. By the locals and the like, that red hair isn't a lie. She is fiery. She's trouble. She's um, not <laughs> yes. So it's it is really interesting. But he, he goes to Wirral, but there's all these conventions that he needs to follow, and they have to have um, is it Machel Machelini, this little Irish fella who has to kind of go on the horse and they have to sit on opposite sides of the carriage and they can't touch, they can't connect. And then there's a storm. There's always a storm, isn't there? <laughs> um, that's a big thing in, in films when you're talking about men. But there's a massive storm and they run off and they find like a barn thing. And, yeah, and there's that scene. And you see it in E.T., which is another film that's interesting to look at male sort of uh, structures. But... Um, that's the scene, you know, you saw it in E.T., do you remember where... Where John Wayne tries to woo him. Uh, Yeah, he grabs her, and it's quite violent, and he grabs her, and actually, I believe, Maureen O'Hara said she was very angry with him because she goes to hit him, and he grabs her wrist. He actually broke one of the bones in her wrist. That's not a shot from John Wayne, is it? But he was a big strapping fella. Oh, I was just being method. (laughs) Yeah, you're not method with the men, John. No, apparently, apparently, him and Ford um, hid sheep poo um, in places that they'd know she'd sit in or stand in, or which really annoys her. But um, was that to help the film or just bands? I I think it 
I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's it's problematic. The film's problematic. I've never heard it, that before. They just <laughs> they both together, two grown men were like, "Who grown I've got men. an idea. Should we put sheep poo?" Yeah, they this? thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I mean, we're both we're both scousers. We've been to Wales enough times to know sheep poo is probably it's it's not as bad as cow poo. So maybe they're like, "This is this is pretty funny." We'll get <laughs> or were they like, "It's Ireland. They've got sheep." You just imagine the boys with going, John, grab that, grab that poop, just put it there, just put it there. <laughs> just no, it I, I reckon it was more John Ford's like working out what lens he's going to use and John Wayne's come over and been like, I'm going to put, sh-, and he's like, yeah, do whatever, mate. I'm, I'm trying to work out this. Have you seen these mountains? I haven't filmed mountains yet. He's like, you do mountains in every film, John. You've shot, <laughs> we know, we get it. Landscapes are great. And he's like, yeah, but I haven't been to Ireland before. He's like, just imagine the ones you did in America, but we've added more green, John. This now green. we need to focus on this sheep poo that I'm going to look. Maureen's distracted because she's crying. So we'll go do it now. When you watch it, though, there's a scene, right? Because he, right. So they get married and um, she says she won't, she won't sleep with him. She, he's bought the house. He's got it the way she wants it. He's painted it. He's done it exactly the way she wants it. And she says, but my belongings, her brother's a bully. Uh, he's like famously a bully, typical, uh, what is called toxic max- masculinity now. Very, very bullying. Like and Paulie she, from Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> and she says he's got a dowry. He's took all her dowry. <clears throat> and she says, you, you have to get it. And he's like, it doesn't matter. And she's like, it does. It does matter. It's mine. It belongs to me. And uh, but he's got it, and he's got to. He's like he doesn't want to face. He doesn't want to face. He's you know he's done his bit. He just wants to settle down now. And she's like no, and she makes him sleep in a sleeping bag. Um. So there's this source of emasculating of him uh, throughout it, and she raises a hand to him, and he he stops her. <laughs> so it's. It's interesting. The dynamic's really interesting. And there's a bit where she catches a glimpse of herself in a mirror. And there's lots of that sort of recognition of self goes on. And anyway, so she makes him sleep in the sleeping bag and she won't she won't consummate the marriage until he gets in. He says, because she locks the bedroom door and puts the bolt across and he says he, he bangs the door in and then. Um, doesn't, doesn't I know this was in the 50s, so it would have had to have been insinuated, but not even like a handy or nothing. Not he not didn't fun. need that handy, not just a sleeping bag, and that was it. But um he says to her, There'll be no locks or bolts between us, only your mercenary heart. But the thing that seems Oh, that's to... weird if she's in the toilet. <laughs> she's in the if you're going for a shit, I'm going to see you taking a shit. Okay, we're married but now. She wants him to be a man. Like the 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 sort of pressure yeah. on John Wayne is to be a man. He's got to be a man. But um, does he judge her for doing that? Does Does she get judged for being like you're not a man until you fight my brother? No, everybody can kind of see a point. They're like, no, it's her stuff, and a man will go and get her mm. stuff. But it's kind of glossed over the fact that he has gone and bought his house and it's his home. Well, these are her home. They belong to her. It's things her mother gave her. 
So that's kind of glossed over. So they, they both have a sense of home. Um, and he has to go and fight him. Now, the famous scene is where he does go and fight him. Uh, but we find out his reluctance to do the, these things that the whole village is up for is because he he killed a man in the boxing ring. And so that's why he's quiet now and he's made his money and he wants to leave it all behind. But he suffers with agonising guilt and there's beautiful shots uh, in black and white of him in the boxing ring. And you see it bit by bit and it gathers the picture of why he's the way he is now and he wants a peaceful life and he's a massive man. But he he goes and fights her brother and it's a famous scene that goes all through the village where he's just knocking him out. They even pause for a drink in the local pub. Uh, and it's weirdly then bonding. It's a weird, quite homoerotic scene where they're sound a, I'm not being funny. That does sound like the Peter Griffin chicken fights that they have in Family Guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's that they do bond, and at the end they shake hands and everything. But she's seen as being troublesome, and he he then takes her home and he goes, right, here's your diary, there's your stuff, now come home. And he grabs her. And she's like, no, 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 no. And he kicks her all the way home. There's even an old woman gives him a stick because the whole village starts following them as he's, like, taking her home. And he's like, we're going to watch these guys fuck now. <laughs> it's got that vibe. But he throws her on the floor and everything. But this old woman goes... Oh, here's a stick to beat the love. <laughs> so it's massive, but he's like, "This is what you want. Is this is what you want, yeah. isn't it? You want, you me want to be this manly man? guy." Yeah, one of the things you covered there is that they were kind of they were fighting, and that's how the men bonded. Yeah, um, which you see happening quite a lot of films. I'm thinking like the lovers. You know, Forty-eight hours, they live. Uh, you know, we can go back to older films as well. But the men tend to bond through like a violent act in movies, I think, which doesn't happen a lot in real life. I don't remember making any of my best mates because I knocked them out. <laughs> yeah, take that one. Yeah. Do you, have you noticed that in films where kind of an, an act of aggression or violence can, I mean, it happens in war movies all the time. How many war movies have you seen, you know, the, two people who don't like each other and maybe, you know, start out fighting each other, the, the drill sergeant, officer and a gentleman, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Is it Lou? Not Lou Diamond Phillips. Um, Lou, no, see, this is where I can cheat. Jamie, make sure you go. Oh. Google. Do you know when you when you listen to the podcast and you're like, God, he fucking recalls stuff great. Uh, <laughs> it's all a lie. Yeah. Uh, the, that relationship between uh, Lou Gossett Jr. and uh, Richard Gere. At first, he's like, I fucking hate you. And then by the end, he's like, yeah, I love you. Um, men bond over that aggression, which you do. I don't know, in Working Girl, I know they're going after each other, but they don't end up, you know, knocking one through the window. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, maybe women do fight more than men and then bond over. Byra, here's, here's my hot take on those, though. In movies where women have had a fight, they don't tend to then become actual friends. They tend to like still have that simmering, like, yeah, but actually you can eat shit. Whereas in if if men have a problem with each other in films, 
once they've had that fight, they've like hammered it out with like, now nah, you're cool. It's all right. Like in Gladiator, the big the big guy who trains Maximus in Gladiator, yeah. and he keeps whacking him on the arm because it's infected. They genuinely do become friends after he like he even tastes his soup to see make sure it's not poisoned, and he feels sad when he dies. You know, if if that was if that was Mean Girls, he'd be like, yeah, you fucking die. You take them arrows. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. I mean, in Greece with uh, with Sandy. And they're all bitching behind her back. And then... And they she... should know better because they're all in their 40s. <laughs> yeah, they should know better. Maybe it's um, the menopause. Yeah, and they pierce her ears and that's how she does the whole transformation. <laughs> it is because they've told her she's just too... Shave your arms. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, you've got... So the quiet man, That's it's a difficult thing. Yeah, and he drags her all the way back and... Yeah, because that's the kind of man she wants. And then in E.T., so I was saying in E.T., it's that scene, isn't it, where the Echo, the quiet man, where Elias grabs the girl he fancies, and because they're only they're only little young'uns, girls grow faster, so she's tall, and he has to stand on a chair to kiss her. But um, And Henry Thomas actually grabbed that girl's wrist so hard that she broke a bone. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people don't know that because he was he was really method. Sheep poo everywhere. Sixteen but, uh, takes, and he was like, "Stephen, I'm going to break a fucking arm in this. So you best get <laughs> some, get an air ambulance in because this chick's going down." And also, I'm a child actor, so I'm I've got like 15 minutes left on set. So I'm going to if I don't break her arm, I'm just going to push her through this plate of grass. <laughs> and now I'm off to my. Off to my <laughs> <laughs> I'm off to be like I'll have a resurgence in about fifty years when uh, uh, a director that said, "Yeah, he's he's back." Henry Thomas is back. Oh, interesting. What what's he doing? Uh, Mike. Oh God, Mike Flanagan, film director and TV director. He does all. The, he's got Henry Thomas in like the Horn the Hill House. Um, he's just been in um, the the Fall of the House of Usher. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, you know, in the in the Shining sequel, um, I'll probably delete this because it's not that interesting. In the Shining sequel, he plays Jack Torrance in Doctor Sleep. He gets Henry oh, Thomas okay. to play Jack Torrance. Oh, of course. Yeah, I wasn't enamoured with that there. Wasn't yeah, that, he holds the axe up and he goes, I'll be right here trying to kill your mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's another one for masculinity, isn't it? And purpose and wilderness and lack of home. Um, but anyway. Well, I mean, what you, learn, what you learn from The Shining is that all men genuinely hate their families and and have that little thing at the back of their head going, you hold me back. Yeah, you hold me back. All you shower shit. <laughs> <laughs> is that, I mean, I don't, I don't have kind of kids or a wife, but do you reckon that's a common thing that men are just like, if it weren't for you, I'd, I'd be playing for <laughs> Liverpool right now. I could have been something. Yeah, you gave me this beer belly by making me go to the pub after work every night. I just sit in the car and cry before I come in. Do you reckon that's why Dad was always so late back from work? Probably. Probably. <laughs> I had a lot of kids. All three of my kids are failures. <laughs> what even is a podcast? What's what's a podcast? Why are you doing it? <laughs> Uh, oh, uh, all right, let's get out another film. Let's, let's okay. See what else right, we got. Yeah. 
So E.T.'s interesting, right? E.T., the extraterrestrial. Yeah. Yeah, group of lads, and they all bond over this little crazy creature, this alien. But a um, paedophile dresses as an alien to get yeah. into the house of a child, a yeah. trusty child from a broken home. <laughs> well, to be fair, he leads him in, doesn't he, with the sweets? Does, yeah. It's a broken home. Like, who? who is the victim there, Jamie? Who is uh, abducted? Oh, Spielberg. <laughs> I'm su- Going back on Spielberg's old stuff, I'm surprised that the family's together in Jaws and he's not like, and then the dad left. Because <laughs> every, every Spielberg is like, and then the dad left. <laughs> Even Indiana Jones is like, and then James Bond left. Hello. <laughs> And that's my favourite. That's my favourite one where it's it's got Eminence as his dad. We named the dog Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, E.T., yeah. I mean, oh, right, E.T., right. So, and you've got the themes again. You've got home, because E.T. needs to get home. It's all about getting home. He's left the cat alone. I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love um, the way... Spielberg does it, you know, where it's like this because it's a kid, isn't it, coming into adulthood, and his, his younger sister seems remarkably much more comfortable with who she is. Um, and he's not, he's kind of like a, the sensitive one in his group. Um, and his mother, yeah, he's got an older brother who slaps him, like it might be quite playful, but it's a bigger, mm. older brother. And the mother's always absent and it's always, you know, order some pizza. Um, So that sense of home is at risk again. Um, So then you've got this otherworldly thing again. It's this uh, otherworldliness and it's trying to find home. Um, But this whole connection with Earth, you know, like when he rejuvenates the flower and um, all this sort of thing, it's this closeness with nature. Um, and this sensitive boy, and he starts becoming connected to E.T. Um, and it's just all very sad. Um, the whole thing, even doesn't she dress E.T. up as a girl? And he goes, he, he looks ridiculous. No, he's got yeah. no genitals. We don't know if E.T.'s a boy or a girl. Or, in the director's or, cut, I think in Spielberg's director's cut, you do yeah, see... Yeah, a huge kawanga. Huge dick. <laughs> And you, um, the signifier, <laughs> the signifier that ET's getting a boner is when his neck extends. Yeah, um, you know that's that. How his... <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, I, I think they've it even confirmed ET yeah. is not a, a guy or a girl. They they're an androgynous. Uh, yeah, but it's guy. like she she puts girls' clothes on and he goes, he looks ridiculous. Uh, and that whole thing, you know, because he's got absent father um, and the only sort of male authority figures are the ones that come in and want to investigate, take apart. Keys. Stubbornness. The keys, the, the the shot with the keys is amazing. This whole just envisions like authority, um, unlocking of doors. Uh, of, and, you know, where the, is it like the breathing tube or whatever where it slams the yeah, I mean, it's, it's visually it's amazing. Even though if you if you take it apart, it doesn't make sense that some of the scientists are wearing you know full astronaut suits. Some of them are like, I'll just wear a mask around my chin, yeah. like I'm on a bus in the pandemic. Um, but visually, it's I, I think 
the reading of that is that it's it's from the point of view of a, a child. If you right. had a scientist come in, it looked like an astronaut. Um, yeah, I, th I think that stands up argument really because yeah, they it all is, come in and they're like, we need to know if it has a dick. But this is the other thing: is authority figures in all these films with men, and you have the police, don't you? And what do they do? They take off and they go over the police, you know. And this whole idea—I mean, it is all from a child's perspective, isn't it? So I think that's completely stands up. But it's this whole coming of age um, sort of thing for him, um, and being vulnerable and being able to be vulnerable, and you know, when he's cutting into the frog, and it's it's when he's yeah. In the jar, and he's like, "You're killing it! You're killing it! You're killing it!" It's just makes me cry every time I watch it. Um, and it's this—he's the frog. He's he's ET. He's you're killing him. You're killing him. You're killing him. Just so sad because he is. He's he's ET, isn't mm. he? And they've utterly meshed. But I think it's ET's always been him, and it's this otherness that he's trying to come to terms with. This connection with nature and. So it's incredibly sad. But if you say ET, right, then because um, I'm talking about violence here, right, the violence in The Quiet Man. Now, another problematic one is sex. The next karate kid. The, uh, the Apartment. Have you ever seen The Apartment? Uh, I've seen The Apartment uh, years ago, and uh, I'm actually watching it next Saturday at the Prince Charles Cinema. Uh, oh, it's such a gorgeous film. It's considered a Christmas film, isn't it? Yeah, because it happens over Christmas. It's it's um Jack Lemon and Shirley McLean. Yeah, I love Shirley McLean. I love Jack Lemon as well. Uh, you know, like in oh, do you know that's another film, some like a hoss where he actually pairs off with the fella, you know, because he's dressing yeah. up as a woman. Yeah, and they, in the end, he says he I'm a bloke, off. and he's like and he's nobody's wet. perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Love that. But um, yeah, so that's a good one as well. But yeah, Jack Lemon in uh, the apartment is lovely, and the whole thing of them um, wanting to get heard. So he gives the key to like all the men that are higher than him, uh, and he gives it to his boss, boss, and they all come in and use his apartment. So he's homeless. For shagging, um, that's you know, if you haven't seen the apartment, yeah, for shagging the. A bit on the side. He's kind of he's a bit sniveling in in it, as I remember, isn't he? He's a bit yeah. Oh, fine, you can use starts my platter. Oh yes, oh yes, thank you, Kelly. Yeah. Yes. Um, he starts off that way uh, because he's trying to get ahead. He wants to have purpose, and there's this beautiful shot at the beginning where it's all the lines of desks and the typewriters, and I don't know what they do. It's, it's something finance. I haven't got a clue. But they're all typing away. And he does this beautiful shot where it's just symmetry. It's just order. It's structure. Um, and, yeah, it's all about having this order and structure. And he's homeless. And this seems to be a recurring theme as well, sense of home. So it's when she and he, everybody fancies her. And she's the lift girl. And everyone fancies her. And she, unbeknownst to him, is having an affair with his boss. Now. His boss uses his apartment um, to take her back to, and it's Christmas Eve, and he goes, oh, I have to go home. And he, he, you know, it's that classic sort of, one day he'll leave the wife. He will leave the wife and the children, and he'll come with me. And you're like, so oh. a classic lad. Classic lad. 
And so he's like, you know, I'll always love you. And um, so he has to go. He leaves her in the apartment and she's left yet again alone. So she she goes and she tops herself, but she doesn't know it's his apartment. He goes out. Yeah. He's depressed. She stood him up. It's a comedy, by the way. It is a genuine it, comedy. <laughs> it is a comedy, but it's one of the most heartbreaking films I think you'll ever watch. Mm. Um, but he... When you say she tops herself, she survives. It's attempted suicide. Well, this is the thing. Talking about violence, you know, men's violence in, in films. There's this really... Because she stood him up. He's asked her out on a date, but she got a last-minute call, drops him like a hot shot, drops him absolutely, and goes to meet. You know, so it's weird. It's like it. it they all... It's like this triple they're all dependent on each other because mm. she stood him up now he's outside he can't get in his flat he doesn't know that his boss has took her that's why she hasn't met him uh, and he's wasted hours for her so he's heartbroken he goes out he gets drunk and he just picks up anyone and he brings them back to the apartment <clears throat> and he's like oh they've gone that's great so he goes back and he finds his key under the mat and there's a system so he goes and opens up and he doesn't know he's like like with this girl and um and she's like smells like smells like sex in there <laughs> <laughs> well, well weirdly uh he finds her in his bed he goes and he has to do a double take he's like what's she doing here um mm-hmm. and then he realizes she's topped herself um so he runs next door to the next door neighbors which are a lovely little old couple and he's a doctor and they're like all oh, this party and you have you know you do too much party and all these girls when are you going to change and they don't know it's not him he's mm. actually living a very quiet life and it's actually all these people from work but yeah so she's topped herself he goes and grabs the doctor and he's he comes in and he's like oh what did you do and he can't tell him and he's like oh you know she took it a bit too seriously you know, you know what oh, women are. And he passes it off as though he's this sort of male stereotype of these people he wants to become. And he's like, oh, you know, you know what women are like. And he, he's like, God, that's, that's a bit out of order. Uh, so he says, is she going to be okay? And he goes, go and get this, go and get that. And the doctor slaps her like really hard and you can hear it. And he's wincing. And you just see him turning his face away as the doctor's like slapping at him. Oh, the, the doctor's played by John Wayne, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I forgot, I forgot that bit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. But yeah. no, so yeah, he's slapping her away. Anyway, it all goes on and, you know, home becomes home. He makes pasta with the tennis rackets in the sink because obviously it's not home. Mm. He's never lived, lived there. Um, and... Yeah, and it's all it's all very nice, and they connect, and blah blah blah, and it's they connect over their vulnerabilities, and blah blah blah. And in the end, one of my favourite lines is um, he says, "What about him?" Because he's trying to get her back, the boss. And he's like, he's to- he says he's told his wife actually he didn't. He's been kicked out because she found out from the mm. secretary who gives him up. But uh, he says, "What about him?" And she says, "We'll send him a fruitcake," and that's it. And it's one of the best lines, but. Yeah, if you talk about violence, though, what about secretary? Have you seen Ooh. secretary? I have. Our boy James Spader, the ultimate creep number one in movies. I know, 100%, isn't it? He's, he's, he's just got those creepy vibes. 
It's I'll, weird with James Bailey because I was introduced to him via Stargate. So I was like, oh, this is just a regular, you know, he, he's, he was the dweeby one in Stargate. And I was like, oh, that, that must be a normal character that he plays. But every other film that James Spade is in, you're like, uh, I'm not letting him pick up my kids from school. They can get the train home. Yeah, it's like, what's his name always gave me creepy vibes? And yeah, he was like a heartthrob. Uh, who's the one who Nelson, played... Nelson Mandela, you always said. <laughs> Remember when he got out of jail and you were like, no, no, it's too soon like, for this guy. No. <laughs> but, um, no. No, who's the one who played the Saints? He was one of the Bonds. Val Kilmer. Oh. oh. <laughs> Val Kilmer's got vibes as well. No, he hasn't. Um, you're you're talking about Roger, Roger Moore. Roger Moore. See, James Spader, Roger Moore, for me, have the same sort of vibes. I'm like, ooh. No, but, Roger Moore pinches a waitress's bum. James Spader follows her to an alleyway. <laughs> really? I just, that's, that, what... that's not real, obviously, because <laughs> I know James Spader <laughs> does listen to this podcast. But I think that's dead interesting. Now, it really annoyed me. Do you remember when Fifty Shades Grey come out, uh, the book and the film? Oh, Which I may just go watch it, yeah. I find that a really fucking disturbing film. Um, it's so horrible. Uh, but it was all off uh, what's the name's book that actually secretary's based on? Uh, is it Kate Cat's Kate, Kate What's the name? Oh, she she wrote a novel anyway. Um, no, that's right. Fifty Shades is based on Twilight, it's fan fiction from Twilight. No, 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 it was based on um, a book by um, a feminist, uh, oh God, what's her name? Is it... I can't believe you rolled your eyes when you said feminist, Nikki. Well, it's become kind of a, a weird thing to say now. Um, I used to always say I was a feminist, but now um, I don't know. I think <laughs> but the, now, now you hate women. Worst, I think is a better way of putting it. Um, what was her name? I'm just trying to look for it. No, she wrote she wrote a book anyway, and uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is a shit version of it. But Secretary is actually based on her book, and mm. it's a look at that power position in in sort of um, well, it's BDSM, isn't it? Um, so yeah, just to just if nobody's seen it, it's James Spader is the boss of quite a quiet, meek Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then they get into he's a BDSM relationship. Yeah. yeah, and he's he's one of those where he lines up his pens, everything's order, and again, we see this sense of order and structure, um, and he can't possibly live up to his own expectations, but, and he feels disgusted by himself, but she she comes in. I mean, we're first introduced to her in the thick of it, where she she's walking around fully with her, what the crossbar on, where she's got the cuffs on, and she's she's kind of skillfully using her head to put the staples in. Mm. So she's doing that, and she's sorting the paperwork out, and then she's walking towards very confident. And then, um, in in like complete contrast to that, we see her at the beginning, and she's this little mousy little girl, very very delicate. And we find out that she's. She tried to commit suicide. She'd just been released from hospital. She's got a neurotic mother. She's got a father who's an alcoholic, so we've got the father figure in there. Again, and number 61 on the Norwegian comedy podcast ratings. Obviously, the best yes. movie too. 
<laughs> but it is. It's a bloody funny film. It's a bloody funny film. Um, because it just throws everything up in the air and makes you question, well, why? Why why is it? Why is that important? Mm. Um so yeah, so he makes her do things and it is bloody funny. Like he does that thing, doesn't he, where every time she does a typo, he gets out his red pen and he puts a line around the typo and he punishes her and he spanks her, doesn't he? Every time she does a typo. And she starts doing it deliberately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he gets spanked. Um, and there's that bit where he, he, I think his sense of loss of control, because actually there's that theory, isn't there, that the the passive one is actually the one in control. Yeah, you start to see elements of she's in charge of the relationship. She's in charge. And he doesn't like it. He starts to get uncomfortable. Um, and she sends him, she sends him a worm. <laughs> And it's if when he draws a circle around the woman, he goes, this. <laughs> and um, but and he loses control. And um, I mean, like sexually, so he he like masturbates on her bare ass. And she's like surprised and she doesn't understand why there's this sort of breakthrough, but she mm. knew she had to push some sort of limit. And it is incredibly funny, even to the point where it's sad, but there's like uh, the guy, the normal guy. Because she feels rebuffed from him, she starts to like have so so sex with this guy, and he proposes to her. And on the surface, he's everything that you know should want. He's he wants to marry her. He wants to make her happy. Blah blah. blah. And she just finds it dull. And what's wrong with that? And so she goes back to she's supposed to get married, and she's in a wedding dress, and she goes back to Spazer's office. Um, and she's, he says, okay, if you sit there and you don't move, just don't move. And he leaves her. And it's, I think it's one of the most powerful things where she's sitting there and she's pissing through a wedding dress. And there's these people coming up. And it is ridiculous because you're like, why does it matter? Mm. People coming up to her and, this, and the, you should read these feminist books and they think it's some sort of protest and all these people approaching her. And there's like religious ones coming up to her and blah, blah, blah. And the only one that makes sense is a father comes up to her and he goes, it's your soul, it's your body. You know, you do with it what you wish. And she just looks at him. She looks up at him and she says, thank you, daddy. And it's just so powerful. And then you see James Bader once and he's like running and he's doing all this track and he's trying to exercise this out because she's getting to him and she's not moving. And, um, in her passivity, she's become the the controller, and so he, he comes in and he um, he bathes her like like she's a prized mm. like a goddess, and he bathes her and he feeds her, and he's the nurturer, and it's just such a nice. It sounds weird to say secretary is such a nice film, but I think it really is, and I think it's interesting to look at violence in that way in in films. Mm. Anyway. No, I'd say that's, well, I'd say that's a good one to to go with. Well, out of so we've we've mainly covered three there. Out of them three, though, which would I you? Uh, out loads more. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's like Midnight Cowboy. That's to, that that is about the cowboy thing, and he, you know, and they have the gay because they they're selling themselves, aren't they? And well, he is. He's selling himself, and that's uh, uncomfortable and blah blah blah. Um. 
he's been abused, he's been abandoned by his mother. There's a thing about his grandmother, incestuous relationships. He was gang raped and his another girl. comedy then? No comedy there. <laughs> but, but then, yeah, but he's a cowboy, so he's probably got a silly hat. I know, but well, the funny thing is that it's kind of he 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 it's that John Wayne sort of masculinity and uh Ratto or Rizzo, uh who's the lad he kind of clings on to and they That's have Justin this, Hoffman, is it? Justin Hoffman, they have this sort of interdependent relationship with each other that a lot of people are saying that's very sort of homosexual and stuff, but it's never like you see him cooking for him and taking on the motherly role. No, that's nothing to do with me, even though he knows he's selling himself. The idea was to sell himself to rich women. He goes, nobody's interested in the cowboy look. They're all hanging out on, and he's talking about all the, the male prostitutes hanging out on whatever street. Uh, they go for the gay look as he finds out because mm. he gets propositions by uh, gay men. Um, and there's even a bit where uh, I think a lad gives him a blowjob uh, and then he says he can't pay him and he freaks out um, and he goes to take his watch, but he doesn't take it. And it's, yeah, because he won't lose his kind of his humanity. But, I mean, there's that. And then if you go to the cowboy element, goes on into... Um, well, I feel uh, like Western, Westerns have been... It's probably the best genre to explore, like, what is a man, a man's behaviour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you have so much time of just men talking, you know, cop... If you look through other genres, like, take cop movies, now and again you get a stakeout moment where someone's, you know, talking about how's the home life or something no, like that. But they tend to be pushed by narrative, whereas... So many westerns is just wild west, isn't it? It's that wildness. I think why it appeals so much is this wildness. Um, and there's always the campfire thing. You see it in my own private Idaho, where um River Phoenix's character tells Keanu Reeves, you know, I love you. And and that's in the campfire sort of environment. Um and and Keanu Reeves, I mean, they're rent boys, they're looking for his mother who's abandoned him, and they're on a road trip. Um, but he 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 just comes out with it and says, I, I, I love you. And it's so nice. He says, I, I want to talk with you. And he goes, no, I mean close. I want to talk with you. And there's this whole thing of um, it's like autism, like not being able to express, not being able to talk seems quite a running theme as well. But I am fascinated with this whole thing of, you know, the – the, the wild and it does start off I think it's near the beginning of the film where they're on the cover of magazines with cowboy hats on and and it's obviously these sort of porn mags and they're talking about themselves it's actually actually based on Henry Henry the fourth um, there's kind of a weird parallel trope in movies where someone's character arc is either you know you talk too much and you're too uh, you know you're too um, feminine or you're you know, masculine enough. See, like, uh, you know, um, Back to the Future. You know, what's a uh, George is finally a man once he can knock out Biff, and he mm. can uh, he can push someone the ginger fellow over on the dance floor. Which, to be fair, he should have knocked him out as well. But that runs in parallel with um, you don't express yourself. Like that's a that's a trope of men. In, oh, you you know you're yeah. 
you, you you're not learning to embrace kind of feelings or you don't have um it's it's quite confusing because they those tropes run parallel throughout cinema i guess because you know it's different writers writing films <laughs> but it's two mixed messages of uh you know real men they talk about the problems they sit down and probably stop trying to kill yourselves men uh and then that runs along with no action is what you have to do no you can't be stopping to take a beat. You need to be brave and do this. Uh, and there's nuance to it in modern cinema now, but it's weird that they're kind of two. They they run up in opposite ends, but they seem to still be prevalent. Well, we were we were like having a text fight, weren't we? Where you were talking about Whiplash, and I went, "Oh, I love Whiplash," where he dies when he gets hit by the bus, and you're right. like, "Oh, don't go all Jacob's Ladder on me." <laughs> right, I I love I love when a film is like, and they were dead the whole time, or they were doing this. I'm well on board, but you can't do it on Whiplash. That's no. I am. I'm calling it because it's a death. There's a death happens. All right, it's just for anyone listening, for our for our friends in Norway who are laughing along to this, right? Because well, we're the sixty first, sixty first rated uh, comedy podcast in Norway. Whiplash, the movie that stars J. Jonah Jameson and uh, Reed Richardson from the failed Fantastic Four. Uh, so what's his name, the, um, the young lad in there? Um, oh, God, I'm going to have to Google it. Jesus. Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. Uh, yeah. Miles Teller is um, Fletcher. No, not Fletcher. Miles Teller is Andrew in it. And he's, yeah. he's obsessed with being the best drummer. And J.K. Simmons is a bully who... Uh, who is, yeah, you know, he's his teacher. Yeah, so he's, he's, he keeps being demanding on him and he's not good enough and he keeps practising and practising and mm. practising. Um, but uh, there's the scene, isn't there, because this was really angered you, is I said there's a bit where he's got to get to this... this uh, he gets this in a car crash, doesn't he? He's got to get to the concert on time and he's got to get there. Meanwhile, there's like an investigation going on, isn't there, by parents of another kid. Um, yeah, didn't because... the kid kill himself? Yeah. There's... yeah. God, but... you love films where people kill themselves. I can't help it. It's to do with, you know, male films. There's a lot of killing I mean, themselves, many deaths. Um, men do be killing themselves. We're great at it right now. Men do be killing themselves. Um but no, but so he's trying to get to it on time, isn't he? And he he's he hires a car and he's speeding along and he's saying, just fucking tell him, fucking tell him I'm on my way, I'm on my way. Mm. And then the sound cuts out, all the sound cuts out, and then you just see through his window this lorry hurtling towards the car. And uh, it he's got blood dripping and he stumbles out of the wreckage, doesn't he? And there's a guy who yeah. says, are you okay? Are you okay? No, just stay there. And he goes, I've got to get my sticks. I've got to get my sticks. And he goes to get back in the car and the guy's saying, no, don't go back in. Don't go back in. And he's like, I've got to get the sticks. And whether you like it or not, that that is some sort of death that happens there because he changes from that point on. He changed. Something switches inside the the whole point of that is that it's his obsession has gone past common sense yeah it's gone i mean but but you're talking you were talking literal death when we were messaging before you were like 
he dies like you know full on Patrick Swayze and ghost. <laughs> then for me, I'm like, right, that's that's a death. There's a death happened there. There's definitely a big death happened there. Whichever right, well, you look at it. I've looked it up. I've looked it up because you pissed me off with that text <laughs> so much. And it was Damien Chazelle, the director, who he, he said what happens to the character afterwards. And it's that Fletcher, J.K. Simmons, will always think he won, and Andrew will be a sad, empty shell of a person and will yeah. die in his 30s of a drug overdose. Yeah. 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 Not, not he died in the car, and this is his Jacob's Ladder, just imagining how things would have played out. Which, don't get me wrong, I do love that in films, when someone uh, is like a, like Mulholland Drive, where it's like, nah, it's, this is someone's death fantasy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, when you message him, like, and he's dead as well. I was like, no, you can't just pull that on any film. You can't be like, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secrets of the Use. Secrets of the Use, he's dead. That's why Vanilla Ice is there, because they were all dead. And the dream and Vanilla Ice is doing Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. <laughs> but whichever way you look at it, whether it's figuratively or literally, there's, he's dead. I mean, it's a character. It's a story. It's a plot. There's a death there. There's a reason why you remember that scene most out of the whole film. There's a reason why it's done that way. There's a cut out of sound. And sound is what he's all about. And it cuts. It cuts out twice, actually. Uh, after It cuts out then. It cuts out again when he's in the theatre, when he's actually getting ready. And he drops the sticks, doesn't he? But um, there's a switch in him. And, it, yeah. He, the director even says he, he from that point on he's a shell he's gone but is there any coincidence that the, the other lads where the parents are investigating uh, into the methods of his teacher their son dies but throughout the film you're told he died in a car crash is there any coincidence there when actually he didn't he hung himself didn't he he actually hung himself as made Casey but um I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's a... Uh, well, that's just to draw the parallels of this is the... They're linking the two together, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. As much yeah. as possible. But I think it's such a powerful, powerful scene when the lorry hits him and he's stumbling out, trying to get on with his life's purpose. He's cut his girlfriend's house, hasn't he? He said his ambition will only get in the way. And um, so he ends it with her. And there's... There's all these little deaths that seem to happen in these films with men. Yeah, it's weird because it it goes from him being a victim of J.K. Simmons to the film kind of being like, but he's kind of allowing it to happen and he is an arsehole. <laughs> well, it's just this expectation, isn't it, that he has for himself to be the best, the precision, the control. I mean, for me, the whole thing about the control and the precision of the drum. Do you know when he's trying to do those really, really quick? I, I forget what they're called, but it's like really double, double, double time. Yeah. Uh, and it's, oh, it's all called drumming. It's all about precision and control, isn't it? So I find it fascinating. But then if you're talking about precision and control, what about um, something like the prestige? Oh, okay. Uh, well, well, yeah, I mean, that's uh, Prestige is Jereen uh, Christian Bale's character, or the, the way he's... Both of them are bloody sad, yeah. aren't they, really? Both of them are bloody... How many little deaths do they have? <laughs> well, I mean, got... literally, Hugh Jackman dies about 50 times in it. Yeah, Hugh Jackman dies nice after nice after nice. Um, 
And as a stand-up who's done the Edinburgh Fringe, I can see where he's coming from. <laughs> so rare, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that really goes into... No, what prestige is, because you could probably do it quicker than me. I mean, it's a Christopher Nolan film uh, where, that I think he did between one of the Batmans where uh, it's Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale are like warring uh, magicians in like Victorian era London yeah. maybe. And uh, the there's a little bit of magic involved. There's a little bit of, you know, the, but it's the lengths that they'll go to. I think they originally they're working together and then Christian Bale does something that causes Hugh Jackman's wife to die at the start. So yeah. they become warring magicians and kind of right. in their attempts to one-up each other, they go to real extreme lengths uh, to do it, including like... Is, I made a note of this. They, they work for a magi um, magician, don't they? And there's this act, um, and what's it called? The Disappearing Man. Come on. it's, it's The trick is called The Disappearing Man. Um, <laughs> so, it's, so you know it's going to be about deaths, uh, and masculine debts, but he right. So you've got Angie and Borden, right? And so they mm. fall apart, don't they? Because it was Angie's wife dies. She's in a glass tank of water and she drowns. And he blames Borden um, and says he's done something. And he's like, no, no, no. Um, it's about the knots, isn't it? He says you did the knots wrong. Did the knots wrong? Uh, yeah. yeah. And actually, it's it's actually. Pippa Parabo, the the wife says, "Do the not the hard to do because it looks better." We, yeah, we don't we don't find out till later on, but she didn't know that that not so, the water and she can't get out. She's she's a real silly goose, then, isn't she? She's a very silly goose. What do you expect? <laughs> um, I mean, letting herself die. <laughs> How but, cringe! But that, that, I mean, it's fascinating, right? You've got Borden then has this trick of this disappearing man. So he walks into a box one side and he appears in another box the other side. And no one can figure out how he's doing it. And this drives uh, Angie mental. And he's like trying to figure out how he's doing this trick. And he kind of sets him up, and sets him up and sends him on a wild goose chase, which weirdly puts him in touch with Tesla, who says he's created this thing, that clone. And who plays Nikola Tesla? Well, it it's Bowie, isn't it? Isn't it Bowie? David Bowie, baby, yeah. Yeah, which I find interesting because he's in another film, The Man Who Fell to Earth, which is fascinating. But, but he's wearing the cod piece from Labyrinth in this film, which is weird. Yeah, I mean, I love Bowie. He just messes about with the whole idea yeah. of being a man, which is crazy because I remember watching Bowie. Anyway, so... Yeah, but in the prestige, so it turns out, doesn't it, that what actually happened is Gordon has a twin brother and they go to massive lengths. Like his twin brother, unbeknownst to Angiers, he shoots off the fingers in a in a, a gun trick and he doesn't know that the other Borden brother cuts off his own fingers so that no one could tell them apart because that's how bloody invested he is. Yeah, luckily he didn't cut his dick off. Is so lucky that would have been. <laughs> anyway. Um, but he has he has kids he, he marries, doesn't he? And it's dead sad because she says, Some days when you say you love me, it's it's true, and some days it's not. And she doesn't know 
that it's actually it's because men. yeah one of the one of the twins loves Scarlett Johansson and one of them loves the actual one. wife. Now Scarlett Johansson's been sent by Angiers because she's his assistant first, and he sends her to spy on Borden, but she falls in love with him, and then he callously says he never loved Sarah, his wife. He loves her, and she thinks this is monstrous because she was obviously a neglected wife then, and that's why she hung herself. Mm. But she doesn't know that it's two of them, and one did love the wife and is heartbroken. And but he loves her, so so in many ways a comedy of errors, a comedy of errors, yeah. Only it's, it's one up. So you've got you've got you've got his character, Borden's character, where he is, he's literally partitioning himself, isn't he, to pull off the stunt? I mean the act, and this is a. I think this is such a well, a good way of doing it. Is for men, it always seems to be about. You know this this kind of persona of success, and it's an act, and I love it that it's all wrapped up. I think Nolan wraps it up in a nice barrier where it's it's um, it, there's these debts, these little debts, mm. and so he partitions himself off. He cuts off his fingers. He, you know, but then you've got Angiers goes a whole other level further, doesn't he? Uh, and he actually does a thing where he duplicates himself. So it's a, it's a what you call it of himself. He creates clones of himself. Yeah, it's kind of like 3D scanning, but for people. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, he, yeah. He, 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 he clones himself every night and then uh, Kills he's, so de- he's so dedicated to it that he goes, every time I do it, I didn't know if I'd be the man in the box or the man on stage. Yeah, the man in the box. I mean, come on. How many can there's so many lovely little sort of little troops and little little sim- because it's actually it's a it's a suicide every night, suicide by clone, because it's the clone that survives each night. Yeah. Um, which is mad. Like the idea of Well, he you, died. You, you're so he obsessed died. to win. Yeah. He's absolutely you'll kill yourself. He tries, doesn't he? He goes out and finds someone who looks like him, but he's a drunk. And he hates sitting underneath the stage and letting this guy take all the applause and the credit. But the cost of that is he kills himself night after night after night. And it's these deaths. And Cutter is the fellow who's like a father figure who was, I forget what they call him, but it's the guy who comes up with the props, who comes up with all the, you know, the acts and the mm. effects. And he becomes a father figure to Angie's. And he says about, he tells him some story about a sailor who, who died and it's it's no big deal like to drown and he said it's like going home and we have that home theme again it's like going home and um so when we first see and Nolan does it really well there's a sink scene where we see him I think it's uh where he, after she's died uh in the in the terrible tragic accident that's gone wrong we see him like um it looks like he's trying to imagine her dying and the grief of that. And he cuts it so well. But we later find out it's him actually um testing out drowning yeah. and seeing what it'll feel like and if he can do it. Um so it's just incredibly sad. And the what the last shot where it's just rows and rows and rows of Angiers in boxes. Just incredibly potent. But who out of the both of them have, has lost more? I think the only win 
is maybe um because only one of the brothers survives, doesn't it, Borden? Because then yeah, the other brother up and he gets hung for the murder of him, which is, I mean, it's, it's a Nolan film. There's so many ins and outs of it all. It's difficult to remember. But, yeah. yeah it's mad because Christian Bale dies because he gets hanged because he's accused of the murder of Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Hugh Jackman dies every night. Right. But then uh, I think Christian Bale ends up kind of winning in terms of because he, he gets his daughter back. He gets his daughter back, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, what's weird about that relationship is I think a lesser filmmaker would have had them, like, he goes, Hugh Jackman goes to see Christian Bale in prison to be like, yeah, yeah fuck you, I'm still alive, lol, lol, lol. Yeah. Uh, and they, they would have had a moment where they respect each other, I think, in a, a lesser film. There'd have been a handshake through the bar of being like, you got me, but it's just too many been driven so much by their competitiveness that they hate each other and beating the other one is more important than succeeding yeah which is weird like that their drive doesn't become i want to be the best at this it wants to be i want to be wolverine yeah i mean you nolan's very good at this though he is very good look at look at memento you know the man who uh can't remember who he is and um he has to write things on his body. He has to take Polaroids. He's trying to solve the murder of his wife, isn't he? He says his wife. Mm. That's the last memory he has is his wife being savagely raped. I don't know how, any other way of raping someone, but um, she's been savagely raped and murdered. And they've clunked him on the head, and that's why he's got this condition. But he 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 has to have order. He has to have structure. He knows who he is. He's got he's got all these mementos of himself, um, and he structures his own persona, really, doesn't he? His own character. Well, the big the big twist of Memento is that he actually did get his wife's killer ages ago. Ages ago, yeah. And that feeds into that like needing purpose uh, thing because once yeah. he's done it, he's got he's purpose. Yeah, so... Um, remember the story of... Um, because for no reason he keeps bringing up the story of uh, the guy who he was in bed. Cause yeah, because it's Stephen Toblowski, isn't it? He plays him. Yeah. Ned, Ned Ryerson. Yeah, Ned! Ned! <laughs> but, um, yeah, but he... he um, yeah, so... Do you remember the story? Because he's an insurance... Yeah, it's that his wife has diabetes and uh, he has to keep giving her the medicine. Yeah, and he, he ODs her. Because he thinks he's doing fraud for the insurance money. And um, he's not convinced. He's not convinced. Even though he makes them, like, pick up these things and they have, like, an electrical pulse through them. So, And then he asks him again to pick up these shapes and he still picks them up. So his memory's gone. So I don't know why. He thinks he's just a very good actor, I think. I think he's yeah, pretty- and then Nolan being Nolan at the end, he's like, oh, ho, ho, it was a bit more than that. Yeah, because she she um, keeps making him inject her because he, he, he gives her insulin, doesn't he? But um, she doesn't believe and she's watching him keeping injecting her because he doesn't remember, he's just done it. And she's like, really? Even this you don't remember? And um, he kills her, doesn't he, with an overdose? But, yeah, at the end, doesn't, doesn't it all become clear that actually he was he's yeah. kind of based yeah, he's created he, this. He's learned that story because the story goes into a different memory part than your real stories, yeah. uh, than your life. So it's kind of he's he's purposely made it a, 
it's a story sick. about someone else so that he'll remember how he killed his own wife. Yeah. That's, uh, but, again, yeah. just absolutely light-hearted stuff from the best movie too. <laughs> but it is it's all about little deaths and he lives in a motel. You've got the sense of home again is gone. Um, you know, um, yeah, the sense of purpose. And it is, can I just, there was loads more I wanted to talk about, but I knew this was bad. Halloween's a bit of a fucker, isn't it? Halloween's a bit of a head fuck, really. If you look you mean the, the guy who just, he just wants to, you know, get with this lady, but things keep getting in the way, like his oh, friends. Damn it. Um, well, you've got that whole home invasion thing, haven't you, that you're petrified of? But yeah, uh, hang on, don't say that as if it's you know not a normal thing to be terrified <laughs> of. Oh, you've got that whole thing of falling off buildings that you don't like. <laughs> but um, Halloween's weird, isn't it? Because I remember watching Halloween, I must have been, I was born in 73, come out in 78. I was very, very young. We no, did... no, family, you probably watched it in 78, like that, yeah. I mean, we were the first people to have VHS. We were the first. <laughs> we were but, the first um, people to be traumatized. Like, you know, I, I think I was like six, and my parents were like, "Do you want to watch Aliens?" No, keep looking while John Hurt. This will show you about swallowing your spaghetti too quickly. And keep watching. We talked through everything. Everything was questioning. Everything was more explorative. It wasn't. Uh, it was very, watched such a wide range of films when I was kids. I mean, we have, even had a bit of. Um, Sort of German fucking. We watched uh, what's it called, Doctor Caligari's uh, Cabinet. Yes. Yeah, watched that when I was tiny. But there was loads. There's that other one. Oh god, I'm not going to go into it because it <laughs> it's not funny, and I don't want to lose your core. You oh know? no, not like all the old stuff about it. We've covered like hardcore rape and murder and a lot oh, of suicide yeah. on this one. But let's not let's not go too dark. For I say, um, in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> Right. And then the pound kills itself. But it's weird, <laughs> isn't it? Like, it starts off, right? She, You hear his sister's voice. It looks like a normal home, right? And you're aware that mm. you're seeing through the eyes of some kid. And it looks like a normal home. It looks actually wholesome. Um, and then you hear her um, talking to someone. And then this lad comes down the stairs. I think he's actually tucking his shirt in his pants. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's an unbroken shot. So the idea is that they've shagged in the in the space of like a minute. Yeah, yeah. So she says, "Call me tomorrow," and he's like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> You're like, "Oh, girl, that's not happening." Yeah, he's like, "I got mine. I'm good." <laughs> and this kid is so miffed off about this. He takes out the. He's already got the kitchen knife in his hand, doesn't he? Um, and he's. Yeah, I think I think he kills her because he's like, "You're bringing a two pump chump." into this house <laughs> we're the Myers and we fuck and how dare you how dare you bring this dweeb in <laughs> but she's naked in front of the mirror and he's stabbing her and you see her boobs and the blows mm. and everything typical source of 70s slasher but what surprised me is when he comes downstairs and I remember thinking oh this is weird not the bit where the child stabs the sister <laughs> But where he comes downstairs and his mum and dad turn up and they pull up and he's got like a bloodied knife and they take the mask off. And this is also a thing, masking, masking in mm. uh, these films. There's a lot of face painting and masking. You only have to look at the crow. But um, 
so he he's he's got this mask on. So his father takes his mask off, and it's like Michael, Michael, what are you doing? And it seems so weird to me that his mum is stood there with her hands in her pockets. And it- I think that's just bad acting. That I like. I I love Halloween. I take that me, down though. too. It really affected me because I was like, oh my god! But this child's face is angelic, isn't it? And he looks mm. traumatized. He does look traumatized. But then it's when Loomis, the doctor's talking about him later, and he's looking for a broken house, hasn't he? And Lou yeah. is looking for him. He's a man possessed. He's got to find him. He's got to find him because he's going to wreak havoc. Um, but he describes him and he says um, a whole thing about... Uh, I spent seven years trying to reason with him and the rest I spent trying to keep him well, in there. Kind of like a father figure to him because he's tried to reach him, hasn't he? Is, is Loomis the worst, the worst therapist in movie history? <laughs> yeah. But I think that goes hand in hand with the whole trying to reason thing. I know therapists are meant to refer to their patients as it. Yeah, he does. He refers to him as it. But did you know a uh, carpenter called him the shape? Yeah. Yeah. He's not he's not meant to have well, he's the shape and the credits, isn't he? Yeah, he's the shape um, and the credits. But um but it's really sad because he, he does, he calls him it and he says uh that there's He's completely detached. What's the word to use? He actually uses these words. Uh, uh, Billy no mates. <laughs> <laughs> and he says he's, he's a big old fucking dweeb. <laughs> big fucking Billy no mates. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's um, he says that he's just pale, expressionless, emotionless. He's not conscious, and he's got no understanding. And it's so bloody sad. You're like this kid. Was traumatized. Yeah, okay. He's a mass murderer and he's horrific. But he was six and he must have witnessed something. And we don't know what the lead up to that was. We've got no idea what the lead up. But we know there was some trauma with his sister having sex. Um, so I read it as he just he just one day went like I I read that as it's a coincidence. And I know I know like after that the slashes decided anyone having sex should be punished. People who and but. I, I think that was kind of, you know, you've got producers from the 70s being like, we need to see some boobs. Oh, um, yeah. You need yeah. an inciting incident that it can't. If them two are just home alone together, they're probably, it's more likely that they'd spend time together. So to separate them and have Michael outside the house. Like, I I think what's scarier is that there's no inciting incident. I think it's just one day a six-year-old went, I'm going to go stab my sister. But yeah, but what's the whole thing with the babysitters? Why is he so drawn, um, like, to her character? And what she, right, he goes to strangle her, right? Now, he's he's pet, like, penetrated as other victims, whichever way you mm. want to put it. I mean, it, 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 the, the daughter of the sheriff he does with a, a, a shotgun, doesn't he? But, um, no, 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 no. The the daughter of the sheriff, he he chokes her in the car, but then he finishes her with the knife. Ah, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shotgun is like one of the. I think that's like my number four or something where he puts the shotgun right through someone. Oh God, it is, it is. But this is why I I love the first Halloween. It kind of lost me after that. Well, yeah, it's because it never should have had any sequels. No, it shouldn't have done. It shouldn't have done. And that's what, that's why I hate the idea of him being Laurie's brother because it's scarier just the, like, you know, ties in with my home of ancient fear. That, like, <laughs> with the strangers, it's the 
it's the because you were in you know it's the motivationless just someone being like i'm gonna kill them tonight this should be fun yeah, yeah. I, I don't know i don't know if it's me but it did it was something that i went back to as i was a teenager as well and i watch it with the kids you know we watch it at halloween mm. um because we're massively into horror and just to let the listener know your children are four and six <laughs> watch this um, <laughs> but no they right but she stabs him with a hanger doesn't she but he yeah. gets to choke her um and there's this thing where she she's looking after the two kids like she's a mother and figure. You mm. know what his well she stabs uh, him with a, a knitting needle needle and a hanger. A knitting needle and a hanger, yeah. But it's just do you remember the bit where the kid she goes, It's okay, don't worry, and the boy, the boy kid. Tommy Doyle. Uh, he he says, But you can't kill the bogeyman. You can't you can't kill him. Mm. Um and I love it. I think there's this fear. And she's like, I just fucking did lose her. <laughs> I took him down. Look um, at that. That's his blood on my hands. I'm never washing these hands. I just did it, baby. And he's like, well, you're scaring me. And she starts choking him. That would have been a better ending. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting because it's this little boy. Um, yeah, and I think that there's this fear of what could be. Be, you know what could mm. happen where you could go um but i don't know call me crazy call me paranoid can i can i just fit there was so much more i wanted to talk about jamie have I you think what what you need what you and the listeners need to be aware of is that i'm going around to our parents for a roast dinner oh all right in a bit no no, no. <laughs> it's all right it's not till after the game uh but what yeah what what else did you want to bring up i wanted to talk about so much stuff this is better by the way this is so much better than someone coming on and going i don't really know i know but uh, we were talking about bowie and the man who fell to earth had a massive massive effect on me and i think it's a stand-up film to this day and it's uh there's themes of like icarus you know icarus and the whole thing about flying too close to the sun so this is bowie's an alien this yeah. is Bowie's an alien and he falls. Now, the the, the whole thing is he falls or, or he, he he drowns, um, which is weird that, I mean, drowning is, a, is water seen as like a female thing usually, isn't it? But you add it in, um, you add it in the prestige where he drowns himself every night and the sense of drowning. But yet, yeah, so he, he falls to earth and he's very childlike, he's very innocent he even nearly steps in front of a car as soon as he gets here. Uh, that would have been a very short film. And he's kind of um, picked up by a girl who works in a local bar, cafe, and mm. she kind of carries him. Uh, he's very weak, and she, she keeps saying, you're very thin, you're very thin. And the whole thing about masculinity, because Bowie just plays around with that his whole life, doesn't he? And... Um, it's got like a noir sort of feel to it. It keeps playing sort of that sort of bluesy music, and he's dressed in a suit and a and a hat and a cravat and stuff. And it's like play on those sort of noir. I think they even light him with noir lighting at one point. Where he is, he the man? Is he the femme fatale? Oh my god, we don't know. Um, but he yeah. So he comes with, and his whole thing is he wants to get water to take home, and he says about the desert. 
uh, and that there's a massive drought where he comes from. Um, and he's just trying to get water home. And there's this theme again of the wilderness and the idea of of this sort of dusty landscape, much as you see in my own private Idaho or the searchers. Um, it's this sort of wildness and desolation. Um, so, yeah, he's trying to get home, but, however, he gets embroiled into the corruption and she introduced him to drink and he ends up becoming an alcoholic. He, uh, the FBI kind of interrogates him. He tries to show himself to her in his true form uh, and he's quite reptilian uh, and she freaks the hell out as I'm sure he was, but uh, he doesn't, he thinks she'll accept him and she doesn't, she rejects him. And she comes back later on, years later, and there's this gorgeous scene where he's playing with a gun and he's saying, I could kill you right here, right now. I could just kill you. Uh, and she's like, doesn't know if he's serious. And he says, I could kill you on this bed. And it's just, the metaphors in it is just beautiful. And at the end, um, like it is uh, this um, sort of disheveled sort of scientist who he's hooked up with earlier on, who who stumbles upon his secret, and that's when he gets interrogated. I think it's the CIA or whatever, and they take him to try and do all these experiments on him, and he's kept in this luxury hotel. But it's like he's a prisoner; he's entrapped in like luxury and money, and. Um, he takes on all those sort of power, masculine stereotypes, but he's questioning himself all the way through. And, um, yeah, it's just really, really sad. And he's left us, he's got a family back where he comes from and he's supposed to go back to them, but he's lost, he's gone, he's he's left himself in the power. But anyway, he meets up. Probably because he felt held back by his family. There we go, we're back. He feels like he's being held back. Yeah. Is that, I'm going to where? Where they've got desperados. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, so, yeah. yeah. So at the end, it's the girl that he, we don't know if he loved her, but they definitely had a connection. Um, but she goes off to the doctor. That doesn't work out. He runs into the doctor at the end, or the scientist. He's called doctor whatever, because he's a scientist. Mm -hmm. And he's disillusioned, he's got no morals. And he's ran off with her. And at the end, he's, he meets up with them on a terrace, like a rooftop sort of terrace or whatever. And he's... Uh, oh, I bet that's expensive drinks. Well, yeah, because he's very he's prisoner of this sort of rich lifestyle now. And um, he he says he's tracked him down. And he the first thing he asks is, how is she? And he says, oh, I don't know. And he goes, well... I don't want her to be alone, you know, and he still cares for her. And he even says to him, do you need money? Are you okay for money? And like, this guy ran off with you, girl. Like, <laughs> mm. uh, But, yeah, it's the whole connotations of, like, a, a longing for home, this sort of landscape. Oh, the landscape thing's interested in it because um, it's based on a famous picture of Icarus. If you look at the picture of Icarus, you won't even spot Icarus in the picture. You've got to look for him, and he's actually the only way oh, you like see a, him. Oh, like a Where's Wally? Yeah, it's like a Where's Wally? Find Icarus. <laughs> it's, it's just his two legs sticking out of the there water. There he is. I'm fine. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. 
but yeah, just really sad. Um, so I think, and there was loads that I wanted to talk about, but I think that I'll have to do. But a Blade Runner being one of the replicants, and you know these sort of roles that we play into. And are we Chris, real? Are we not real? Well, we'll yeah. we'll have to um, we'll have to get you back on uh, <laughs> once you've calmed down, once you've taken your ADHD medicine. <laughs> well, yeah, it does make you a little bit all over the place. But no, thanks, thanks for coming on, Nick. It is Nicky, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roy. <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming on. So, out of those, then, which would you? Let's just say, let's just say one to give our audience. Which would you say if you want to? If you want to get into the minds of men and to to defeat them, uh, to defeat them, <laughs> it's. I think it's really difficult, but I think I'm going to have to go back to the quiet man. I think I think that's just. Yeah, I think, I think still raises questions. So many questions for me all the way through. I think after our chat, I'm going to give that a go. Actually, especially now, now I know someone's wrist is going to get broken in real life. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna nudge whoever I'm watching it with, like Aragorn breaking his, uh, breaking his toe when he kicks the the helmet, and be like, he actually broke a wrist there. And they can be like, <laughs> they can be like, we're just sat next to each other on the bus. I don't know what you're pointing at, because um, I'll just be watching it on my phone as John Ford intended. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we're going with the quiet man there. Nikki, thanks very much uh, for coming on. Have you got anything you want to promote? Anything you want to shout out, even if it's a charity or just, you know? Um, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm working on a project. You know about this. You don't know too much about it. I'm working on a project, um, and it's I'm calling it Strange Jane, but I'm going to do a YouTube sort of series, and it's... And it's, uh, a, it's a pro-life charity. You're going to be going to many... <laughs> clinics around the uk and just telling them you know how you feel well actually it's a ghost story that you're pretty familiar with oh god don't <laughs> i am i am i'm i'm doing like um bit by bit uh, the telling about the ghost in my house <laughs> uh, i've just moved into my own place where i'm now alone and it's an old flat and i hate that well we'll we'll do one day we'll do how haunted you're maybe next october we'll do the many hauntings of the oh, the Allertons and Kellys. That's what I'll be talking about anyway. Is. All right, so that's looking out soon. Look out soon for Strange Jane <laughs> uh, on YouTube because you're an old woman who doesn't realise the TikTok has taken over now. Yeah, I know. Uh, are you going to be on the TikToks? I think you need a, a longer attention span for 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 my stories, though. What? I think you'd need. A <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, cheers, Nikki. Uh, And I'll see you at mum and dad's for dinner. Okay. I'll see you there, bro. All right. Love you. Love you. Love you, Ma.